I've been a lifelong fan of one-upsmanship, ever since the Simpsons episode, anyway, where Homer joins the Stonecutters and he's given the special upgraded number in case of emergency. Why call 911 when you can dial 912? In the spirit of anything you can do, I can do better. The Mets had lost to San Francisco 5-2 Wednesday, and they beat them 6-2 on Thursday. The ultimate I'll-see-you-and-raise-you-one at the poker table. One-upsmanship alive and well in Flushing. A recap of how it all went down is coming up right now. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. So the Mets have started the year 10 and 4. Four years ago, they started 10 and 1, ended up 77 and 85. The 1972 Mets started 25 and 7, finished 14 games behind the Pirates. So, not to be that guy, but we got to slow our roll a little. Josh Lewin with you. Six games over 500 is a nice place to be. The Mets grabbing three out of four in the San Francisco series. Thursday afternoon, Buck was back. Buck Showalter had missed the Wednesday night game, having to go in for a medical procedure. Now, the Mets lost that game without him, but a nice bounce back Thursday. So, yeah, they take three out of four from a team that won 107 games a year ago. And this year, it started 7-2. and two. San Francisco hadn't allowed three runs in a game at all, nine games into the year. The Mets got them for at least that many, three out of the four times they played them. So let's go through the top stories coming out of Thursday's win. Mets getting to be the first team in baseball with 10 wins and winning a four-game series against the Giants for the first time in 10 years. Did that in San Francisco, also a three games to one. Mets starting pitchers are now 8-1 with a 2.1 ERA. They've had 86 strikeouts against 17 walks. Opponents batting average of a buck 74. And the man who helped all of that yesterday was Carlos Carrasco. Seven and two-thirds, four hits, couple of runs, seven strikeouts. Got his first victory of the year, pitching his longest outing as a Met. And in fact, his longest since May of 2019 with the then-Indians. He allowed only one hit after the second inning, set down 20 of the last 22 that he faced. He's got 20 strikeouts and two walks in 18 innings so far, even at a scoreless first inning. That's a bit of a rarity for the Venezuelan, but he, he kept the 2-3-4 part of the Giants' batting order to an 0-12. for 12. In fact, San Francisco had only four hits all game, two of them by Mike Yastrzemski, including a home run, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. The Mets scoring. Well, the the Giants hadn't allowed a home run themselves on eight going on nine games. That changed almost immediately with Francisco Lindor at the plate. Francisco 0 for his last seven, but he's batting 277. And he's hit DeSclafani well. The 1-0 hit in the air to right field. Pretty deep. Yastrzemski towards the corner in front of the wall. It is gone. A home run. Francisco Lindor continues to hit DeSclafani well as he homers into the front row of the Coca-Cola corner. The upper deck in right field for Lindor, his fourth home run of the year. He's now 6 out of 13 with three home runs against DeSclafani. And the Mets have a one to nothing first inning lead. Number four for Lindor. Much better April this time. A, 357 batting average during this homestand. He's at 308 overall for the season now. Another guy who's really hitting is a former Arizona third baseman, Eduardo Escobar, leading the National League in doubles. 
He can also hit him over the wall, not just up against the wall. Escobar batting at 317, no homers, four RBIs, and the 0-1 hit deep to right field. Yastrzemski back into the corner, and it is gone! A home run! Eduardo Escobar hits it off the ascending wall above the orange line, about 15 feet to the left of the foul pole in right field. So Escobar with his first home run as a New York Met, and the Mets have a 2-1 lead. Nine extra base hits, 12 walks in his first 13 games of the season. These are not the Eric Campbell, Danny Munoz days at third base anymore, my friends. Escobar was an all-star last year. He's looking very all-star-y so far this year. He's now hitting 318. Another guy who's really hitting, another import from out west, the former Oakland Athletic, Mark Canna, who's on base percentage is a cool 500. He had a couple of hits coming off the COVID IEL. They knocked in a couple runs. That extended the lead to 5-1. to one. The Ostromsky homer cut the Mets' lead to 5-2, to two, but Brandon Nimmo answered with an RBI single in the bottom of the eighth. Brandon hitting 314. So of the top seven guys in the Mets' batting order Thursday, the worst batting average out there was Pete Alonzo at a very healthy 278. And he had two hits yesterday after three the night before. Canna now hitting 379. And after the game, he got the interview treatment on WCBS. Mark, yesterday you talked about shaking the rust off. Now two games in, you feel like you're back in the baseball groove? Yeah, I got it back. It took one day. Um, no, I, I felt good today and just happy to, to contribute after, after being away. What's your experience been like, your first two home games here at City Field? Awesome. Awesome. I, I, great energy in the ballpark. I mean been pretty cold this series and the, and the fans showed up and and they're loud and, and proud and it's been been a lot of fun i know it's only april that's a good team over there to take three out of four what can that mean for this team early in the season i mean it's a big series it's it's um it's good for us to to win that one and and um you know we, we won a lot of close ball games where where you can never t- count that team out so um yeah, we gotta we gotta stay in all these ball games and treat. I think just treat all the opponents the same and kind of like we did the, this weekend. How good was Carrasco? Unbelievable, awesome. I mean, came out and does what he's been doing, and and he's just been uh, he's been rolling. So uh, yeah, we're just doing a good job of all around. Good defense, good hitting, good situational hitting. It's just uh, good team baseball. Ready for some warmer weather in Arizona? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Mark, congratulations. Thank you. All right. Uh, There you have it. You got Canna, Escobar, Marte, Scherzer, Bassett, the new guys, all of them are doing exactly what was expected so far. And by the way, Edwin Diaz pitched a good-looking ninth yesterday. He needed only 10 pitches. He struck out a couple. The Mets' bullpen is now at 17 consecutive scoreless innings and counting. Buck Showalter in a good mood to meet the media after it was over. Carrasco, very efficient today. What did you like best from him? Beat me too. He's efficient. He was a uh, uh, command. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the whole thing that I keep talking about Oral Hershiser, one to compete, two to win, three to dominate. I'm not saying that's a really good lineup, okay? And, uh, you know, you, you're always looking at it. You see a guy continue to be successful third time around the order, it tells you he's got a lot of weapons at his disposal that day. And tempo, and it's fun to play behind him. 
you see some good defensive plays usually made. Everybody's on their toes, and it's a crisp, uh, crisp approach to it. It was good, boy. That was fun to watch. Tony? Obviously, you guys were hoping that Carrasco could be this version of himself coming into the year, but coming off surgery, I mean, how much doubt did you guys as an organization have, and how much has he done over these three starts to, to show you? I don't know about doubts. I, I think it was just, uh, you know, the pedigrees there and the want tos there, and you know, everybody pulls for Carlos. He's, you know, he cares so much, and uh, <coughs> I think he's, he's, he's in a good spot physically, you know, mentally and emotionally, and he's got some help. You know, he's not, he's not that constant focus on every time he cocks his arm. He, he's in a good spot, and. Uh, Let's face it, the big thing is he's healthy. I think we all know what Carlos is capable of when he's healthy. All right. Anthony. Just to follow up on that, when you look at looked at tapes from him from last year, did you just throw them out because you could see this guy's not healthy, or was there something to be learned? Uh, the thing I learned is that he didn't make an excuse, didn't give in. I mean, it was frustrating for him. And he had, a, he had a little look in his eye in the spring. He was all business. Not that he hasn't been before, but, you know, you don't, become a prisoner to the past by dwelling on it. You know, he just kind of moved forward. He, uh, you you know, I I can't say I knew him that well coming in. I always admired him from afar because he was just such a strike thrower and a competitive guy. But it's good for everybody to get a reminder why, you know, he was one one of, you know, has been one of the best pitchers, you know, in the American League for a long time in Cleveland. We want no part of seeing him. Uh, Buck, you're a new guy here too, but you've had two of the new guys come in here that just from this off season in Escobar and Canna and have really made big contributions for you guys off the jump. I mean, how, how big is that and how hard is that to do really when you're kind of with a new team and looking to make an impact? Well, like that? I think the good thing, David, is that not, they're not the only one. You know, there's a certain, you know, with Max and, and, uh, and Starling and everybody that's come in new, we've got a very uh, receptive team. You know, I don't get into the hazing stuff and all that new kid. I, I've never understood why you want to make somebody's path harder. I just That's more with young players. Mostly it's done by players that had it done to them, which is really a stupid reason to do it to somebody else. You should learn from it and not do it to somebody else. But, no, I, I think they, there's been a real comfortable uh, one. They carried some cachet when they came in here. I mean, but they didn't have to show everybody how... Uh, I think a lot of guys are comfortable, not necessarily not leading, but just just going and playing first base and going and playing shortstop and going and play third base. Just go play it and, and and be a good teammate and just hold your end hold your end of the bargain. That's what guys are guys are trying to. You know, your teammates are counting on me and. I'm going to bring what I'm expected to bring. It's really hard to beat those guys three out of four. A Bucks team is 10-4, and four, second in the majors in runs scored, first in hits, first in stolen bases. Uh, they're second in ERA. They're first in opponents' batting average. These are all good things. Next on the docket, it is at Arizona, the team that Bucks Showalter managed when they were first created back in 1998. We'll talk about that after this. Now, the Mets got on the team playing in matching gray sweatsuits after the Thursday game. Not that they're going to need sweatsuits in Arizona. They're getting ready for the Diamondbacks. 
the team that Buck Showalter started out with back in 98, and they were not exactly a juggernaut as an expansion team. Their best hitters in 1998 were probably Travis Lee and a 35-year-old Devon White. That was a team that lost 97 games. Who knows how many they'll lose this year? Because going into action yesterday, their first 11 games, they had averaged not even half a run a game. Yeah, 0.45 runs per game. Their collective OPS, 455. That's 260 points below the league average. The five players given the most played appearances, Cattell Marte, David Peralta, Dalton Varsho, Christian Walker, Pavin Smith, uh, they combined for a 180 batting average, a 318 slugging percentage. That's basically what a pitcher is good for. So they are the cupcake in the non-conference college football schedule because the Mets will have played these guys six of their first 17 games this year. Better to get the Diamondbacks now because eventually they will hit at least a little and they may dip into their minor league system before too long as well. They've got a center fielder named Corbin Carroll. Not exactly on the timetable of an Adley Rutschman or uh, Julio Rodriguez or somebody like that, but Carroll is a really studly-looking double-A player right now. Elite tools, little guy, five foot nine, but uh, he will probably be with them before too long. The best thing Arizona may have going is, of all things, BS, which does not stand for what you're thinking, not Buck Showalter or that other thing you might have been thinking about. I'm talking about Brent Strom, now their pitching coach, and that is a coup. Guys in his mid-70s, coming off a dominant run with the Astros, who had owned the fifth-best ERA in the majors when he was there. Of course, they won a title in 2017. They appeared in a couple other World Series, including last year. And as Diamondbacks pitcher Luke Weaver put it to their media, he said success has been oozing from pitching staffs wherever he's been. And Diamondbacks pitchers have been oozing other things. They're coming off a brutal season last year, and they really absorb a lot of the blame for that 52 and 110 of a year ago. Their pitchers collectively, pretty much by far the worst in the National League in whatever metric you want to throw out there. Their veterans got hurt and underperformed when they were healthy. The young pitchers trying to adjust to the majors instead got their brains beat in. So how did this team lure this coach to Phoenix. I know a lot of people in their 70s go to, to Phoenix, but that's to retire. And Strom really hasn't addressed the why of the, the whole thing of how he's now the pitching coach there. He's only said he felt it was time to move on from the Astros. Everybody assumed that meant retirement, but he said the Diamondbacks were the only team to call him this offseason about a pitching coach job. He lives in Tucson. It's not quite commutable, but it's close. And I, I'm talking so much about Strom because he was a one-time Met. He made five starts for that 72 team that we referenced earlier before he got peddled off to Cleveland just in time to miss out on the 73 World Series. But a few years later, his wife was named Mrs. America, representing New Jersey. So uh, I don't know, maybe that's a a fairly decent trade-off. My favorite Strom note, although it's tough to beat marrying Mrs. America, he was the second guy to get Tommy John surgery. If he had gone first, we'd all know it as Brent Strom surgery to this day. Uh, um, after his, he never did get back to the majors. His career ended in Albuquerque with an 8.5 ERA. Tommy John pitched another decade in the big leagues, had 164 wins after his surgery. It's about the same number Sandy Koufax had for his whole career. And that was always the deal with that surgery that Dr. Frank Job. Uh, basically invented. He said that there are no guarantees. Tommy John's totally took 
Brent Stroms did not. They were the first two canaries down the, the mine shaft there, the first two guys to give that a shot. So, Anyway, got a three-game series starting in Phoenix. Here are your pitching matchups. We don't know a lot about them. We know David Peterson against TBA tonight, Tyler McGill against TBA on Saturday, and then uh, TBA against TBA. Is that a lot of information for you? 9.40 p.m., 8.10 p.m., 4.40 p.m. Those are the East Coast game time starts. Arizona is now on Mountain Time, and remember, uh, they've always said fooey to daylight savings time. So New York is either two hours or three hours ahead of Phoenix, depending on the season. Right now, it's two hours. Here is a fun did you know to leave you with. Uh, the Hopi Nation up by the Grand Canyon, they do it a little bit differently. Well, Arizona has never said we're going to embrace uh, the, the whole daylight savings time thing. The Hopi Nation said we'll do it. So even today, if you were to drive up State Highway 264 from Phoenix, you'll reset your watch three times you'll you'll jigsaw back and forth in the same state between time zones it's not as tough as venezuela where they decreed a few years ago they were going to just turn back their nation's clock 30 minutes and leave it there hugo chavez said he wanted his citizens to wake up a half an hour earlier to be more productive i have no political commentary i'm just saying that's a weird way to do that let's get out of here by thanking our house band our legendary mets in the morning house band Let's thank our keyboard man, Bruce Beauclair. Slapping to bass, Raul Casanova. The horn section, and we will hear from him with the Diamondbacks. He's still pitching for him, Oliver Perez. And on the drums, the lefty reliever, Daniel Zamora. This is Josh Lewin. We're taking the weekend off. We'll come back first thing Monday morning, tell you how that Diamondback series went. The Mets heading into it in first place by a bunch in the NL East. Isn't that a nice thing to be able to talk about? Take care. Don't be one-upping anybody. I know I said I liked that, but that's not a nice thing to do. This is a public service announcement.